Join us as we celebrate Black History Month, where we'll honor Komen researchers dedicated to helping us reduce health disparities in Black women, encourage Black women to know their family history and risk factors, and empower Black women to share their personal stories. Together, we stand for H-E-R, a health equity revolution. Support for The Real Pink Podcast comes from Ford Warriors in Pain. To date, Ford has dedicated $138 million to fight against breast cancer. When you shop FordCares.com, 100% of the net proceeds help provide transportation solutions for patients in need. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Fast-growing breast cancers can seem to come out of nowhere. That's what it was like for today's guest, Selena Smith-Albino, when she felt a lump in her left breast six months after getting a clean bill of health following a mammogram. The diagnosis of stage 3 invasive ductal carcinoma led to her decision to undergo genetic testing. Her test results would have repercussions for her entire family. Selena joins us today to share what she's learned through her experience that can help other women. Selena, thanks for being a guest on the show today. Adam, thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I, I love I love hearing stories and, and I want to get to your story. I know you're a busy mom. I know we talked about you've got a great job in sales with a large food and beverage company. Um, and, and then you find out you've got breast cancer. So, so walk us through like what led to your diagnosis and what were you told about the breast cancer that you were diagnosed with? Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, just to say that I was shocked is an understatement um, because I'm a person that takes care of themselves in terms of working out a few times a week. Um, I'm a vegetarian. So I like to think that I have a healthy lifestyle. Um, and I was just having trouble sleeping on, on one side. And, and finally one night, um, I decided to kind of poke around and that's when I found this kind of perfect circular shaped, um, knot, if you will, um, on my left breast. And it, uh, took me for a loop, um, that that's certain in the course of a few weeks, I, I had my diagnosis, um, and before long, I was sitting in front of an oncologist, um, learning exactly what this was and undergoing additional scans to see if it had spread and, and you know, what that meant um, for treatment and diagnosis option as, as well. So um, pretty shocked, to say the least. So, yes, yeah, so I want to I'd love to focus in on two things about your story really quick. So one is I understand that you found this not long after a mammogram, which tells me that it's so important to continue to be persistent in, in doing those self-examinations and really knowing your body. And the second thing that I heard in there is that there was just something unusual with your body, right? You were having trouble sleeping on one side, something unusual, something something odd, and that triggered you to, or clued you in, I should say, really, to, to do more examination, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Adam. So I, this is only the second time that I'd had a mammogram. And so I knew from my first year experience that um, I had dense, dense breasts. And so the densities are rated A through D and um, as luck would have it, I'm a level D density, which just means that, um, hey, uh, things like tumors and, and cancers are really hard to see on a mammogram. And so um, you get an ultrasound afterwards so that it does um, show up 
that way if there is anything to be concerned about. And so I made my appointments um, on time. You know, it'd been almost a year to the day that I went back for my second uh, ever mammogram and ultrasound um, and got a clean bill of health. And so um, that was in February of 2020. Uh, Fast forward and, you know, having, um, you know, my my regular exam, I didn't really feel anything. And and then all of a sudden I was just like, wow, this is uncomfortable. And so I recognized that, um, oh, maybe at at first I kind of dismissed it as uh, maybe I pulled a muscle um, just sort of where it was. Or maybe, you know, you kind of, your head lets you think of all the things that it could be so that you avoid the thing that it can't be. Um, but it was a real um, eye-opener to, to say like, oh my gosh, there's something here. Um, mm. Luckily, um, I happened to be on vacation with my family at the time and I have a niece who um, is uh, a doctor. And so on the beach the next day, I'm like, hey, Nick, uh, I need you to feel this um, and let me know like what, what your thoughts are. What do I what do? I do? Um, not everyone has a Nikki in their family, uh, to be able to go to right away. But, um, you know, she gave me some sound advice around, if this could be nothing, so don't panic. Um, but if it's still there in a week, you know, call your doctor and, and follow up. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Well, that's such good advice, right? Uh, you make sure to follow up, make sure to be persistent if something is persistent with your body, right? So, so let's talk about what happened next? What testing and treatment decisions did you need to make early on? Yeah, um, with my type of um, diagnosis, and you know, I'll never forget getting that call. I, I think that everyone who's ever heard um, or, or gotten the, the call from their doctor that you know the test results are positive for cancer knows exactly where they were um, in that moment. And so, no different for me, but. Um, my OBGYN said that while the doctors in our area were um, great, I needed something um, in terms of specialty care because um, given my family history, given the fact that I had a clean bill of health six months prior, that there was probably more to this and we needed to get to the root of it. And um, so based on her recommendation, I got with um, the doctors at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and um, had my first appointments to understand um, what exactly is the full scope of what I'm dealing with for my disease. Um, I have an amazing oncologist who I love dearly uh, and feel just truly indebted to. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she really helped me understand how much disease I had. Uh, and so it was shocking, um, but I felt very uh, kind of at ease in that same breath because of the treatments um, and and the fact that she had already partnered with the breast surgeon and um, the radiation doctor to to have a team um, to be able to really assess my specific situation and the course of treatment. So I knew I had this panel of experts that had reviewed my case specifically um, and it, it gave me faith in being able to say, okay, I support the treatment, which was uh, five months of chemotherapy with immunotherapy every three weeks, um, followed by surgery. Um, So my surgeon and I aligned that I would have a double mastectomy given the progression of my disease and how quickly it came on. Um, And then uh, 27 or so um, radiation treatments following. And... um, I felt like, okay, once I had a game plan, um, I'm the 
what do we need to do? Well, let's go do it kind of person. Um, I, I felt like I was in great hands going into that process. Mm. That's fantastic. So, so I want to think back just, uh, just a little bit prior to your diagnosis. I'm curious, were you aware of any other family members that may have been diagnosed with breast cancer or had any other issues like that? Yeah, that's a great question because I was always told that the examples of cancer in my family were too far removed for me to be worried about and didn't require additional screening because of that. Um, and so my mom's side of the family has a history of, of cancers. Um, her first cousin actually close to my age at the time had a double mastectomy uh, because she had cancer at the age of 40. Um, her daughter had cancer. Um, another one of my mom's cousins uh, had cancer. Her brothers have had prostate cancer. So here I thought, my goodness, you know, we've got some odds on that side of the family that we've got to pay close attention to, but it was always a little bit too removed um, to qualify for additional screening, quite frankly. Um, and so, you know, fast forwarding a little bit and recognizing that um, the type of cancer that I have is uh, unique. Um, we went underwent genetic testing and found out that I had the BRCA1 mutation on, on that gene. And then we had to figure out, okay, so where did it come from? Um, my mom actually tested negative for that mutation. And so that means it didn't come from mom's side of the family. And it's actually from my dad's side. And so that prompted additional testing throughout my family. Mm, okay. And I'm, I'm curious, like, how did the rest of your family respond to that revelation? And, and, and kind of what does that look like? And how has it sort of shaped some of the medical decisions in your family? Yeah, my, my dad's an only child and has never had cancer. And his mom and dad never had cancer. And so we really didn't think that there was anything um, to be concerned about other than a history of diabetes and high blood pressure um, on that side of the family. Um, as it turns out, um, he was a carrier of the mutation. And um, so my sisters and, and brothers, um, we, we all got tested. Um, I've got two sisters with little kids at home. And so it was really important for them to know exactly um, what, what they were potentially up against so that they could make the best decisions for themselves. And so of my um, siblings, two tested positive for the mutation. Um, one has already on, undergone uh, surgery, um, double mastectomy, um, reconstruction, and she has plans to also um, have her ovaries um, and tubes removed um, because that BRCA1 mutation carries a high risk of ovarian cancer. Uh, her kids um, will get tested once they're 18 um, because she's a carrier, she will pass that potentially on to her children. Um, my other sister um, is currently in that process. She'd recently gotten her results um, but she's got a daughter who has children as well. And so um, now everyone is faced with understanding exactly what this means for them um, ahead of a diagnosis. So um, in that sense, being armed with, with that really helps everyone make eyes wide open decisions um, for the best outcome possible for themselves. Mm, yeah, I mean, just the more information, right, that you can have, the, the better decisions you can make and, and hopefully make early, right? Um, it's so important. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, after your diagnosis and, and you've gone through treatment, 
Um, what did your self-care look like, uh, both, you know, during your diagnosis, during treatment and afterwards, and what does your support network look like? You know, I, I consider myself, Adam, to be the, uh, a helper in life. You know, I, I'm supportive to others around me. Um, that is kind of who I am, right? I've always given back to my community, volunteered my time. And I found myself in an uncomfortable position of, of really questioning, what do I need from my community? Um, and it's, it's always been like, no, no, I don't need anything. Um, but in this case, I kind of took some, took some time to think through what would be, um, most, most beneficial, um, for me mentally. I understand the, the physical piece that I'm going to take on and I don't know who can help with that. Um, so how do I keep my head on while I'm going through all of this? And so I, I shared my news and diagnosis with my family and friends through social media and said, um, here's what I need from you. <laughs> here's if, you, if you're looking for, hey, what can I do? Um, I'll tell you, if, if I come across your mind um, or if in the course of a day you think of me, write me a note. It can be on a postcard. It can be put it in the mail. Um, let, let's kick it old school. And, um, you know, you used to look forward to kind of going to the mailbox and seeing your name on something that's not a bill. Um, give me that feeling again. And um, my tribe showed up. <laughs> it was really special. Um, hundreds of letters um, poured in um, through the course of at least six months. I have a bag of them still here um, that sometimes I'll just look back to to know uh, how much love and support was coming my way. Because there are still days, you know, where you find yourself thinking like, how did I end up here? Um, that you have to just remind yourself that um, there are so many people that love and support you. Um, and it gives you the energy um, to fight on days when you don't think you have anything more to give. I also have an incredible husband um, who made sure that uh, he was taking me back and forth to treatment um, and he couldn't go in because of COVID protocols. And so I was in the rooms getting my infusions for hours alone um, and that can feel really isolating. Um, so I had sister-in-laws that would um, know it was my treatment day and like send me messages, FaceTime me while I was getting treatment. My brother-in-law would come down and spend time with my husband while I was in that room um, just to look out for him as well. So this was not just my journey, um, but it was everyone that I've ever loved um, and been friends with. We were all in this together. Yeah, I, I, there's two things you said that I just love. You know, One is I never thought about, you know, from a support perspective, just saying, hey, send cards, send letters. Like, have, I would imagine having that physical evidence, right? That, that someone cares enough because it takes time to write and, you know, and we're not used to writing or handwriting's terrible, you know, and, and, uh, and to, to go and, and put it in the mail, like, like the physical evidence of that, I think would just be overwhelming and really amazing. And, and I think the other thing you mentioned is that it's a journey that you took with your community. Uh, and I think that's really a beautiful thing. I don't ever, ever understand like how much that meant to me. You know, there were days where I would get them and I couldn't open them. Um, because I was just feeling a bit fragile and knew that I wouldn't be able to read a card without just crying. Um, but, but they were there and, and just, just really incredible. So, uh, you know, ask for what you need because people will show up and, and really surprise you. 
Yeah, I love that. Ask for what you need because people will show up and surprise you. That is amazing advice. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of your medical decisions. I understand that you decided to enroll in two clinical trials. Um, Tell us what drove you to that decision. Sure. So understanding that I was already getting um, some some advanced treatment, thankfully, um, for people that have gone through trials um, before me. And so getting the um, chemotherapy with immunotherapy um, was already groundbreaking, um, especially for, for my cancer. So it's like the commercials that you see for some of these things, you're like, oh, that's what I'm going to be taking. And, and hopefully it has a really positive impact on um, my type of cancer. Um, but the other is just understanding that um, my lymph nodes were involved in this and that they would need to be removed. I did some, some research with the help of my doctors on the the impact um, of lymphedema and what it means, um, how other people manage it through their lives. Um, and knowing that I was going to have 20 lymph nodes removed made me a very like high probability that at some point I would end up with lymphedema. I'm a person who travels, who's active. Um, and so thinking through like, oh, do I really want that to be another lingering thing in my life? When all of this will be said and done and I want to put it behind me and go forward, I'll have this reminder. And so it was really easy for me to say, yes, sign me up for the lymphemus bypass uh, study. I, I want to be a part of anything that um, helps reduce those odds. And um, so I, I think I was like the 50th or so person um, to, to join that trial. Um, and like, I haven't had lymphedema. Um, I actually go back in another month to, to make sure that everything is flowing properly through testing. Um, but everything has been um, really great. So it was something that I'm glad I said yes to. It added a nominal amount of time to surgery, about 30 minutes um, to actually have it done. And it was like a like a stent um, for my lymph nodes to kind of recreate that part of the highway that was now missing. Um, and I figure, hey, I'm a unique case. And if the doctors can learn anything from the way that they're treating me, um, I, I feel this sense that I it's my duty to sort of pay it back so that when other people are in this unfortunate position, they'll have gotten the benefit um, from my experience. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing about clinical trials, right? You, you, you often get benefit from it, but then you do, you are actively paving the way for people to come behind you and have better outcomes uh, for them as well. So um, that's such a, such a gracious thing uh, for you to be able to do. So uh, last question, uh, and this is great. I really appreciate you just sharing your life with us. Final question here. Given all you've learned, what would you want to tell Black women who are newly diagnosed? So Adam, it's, it's a great point because we already have um, odds stacked against us um, as Black women um, in the healthcare uh, industry in general. Um, so mortality rates are higher no matter um, what, what statistic you're looking at for Black women in particular. Um, Coleman actually had a blog recently that talked about the disparity and said, hey, all things being equal, even wealthier Black women, um, same kind of status socially, um, will face higher mortality rates um, given the same diagnosis as their um, other white women. That is uh, eye-opening, um, scary, and alarming. And so if 
my being able to speak out and encourage other women to advocate for themselves, um, to know exactly their family history, uh, and to encourage those around them uh, in their family to, to speak on the things that um, maybe they don't talk about. Um, but that is powerful. So that is that part of knowledge that you absolutely have to go in with this with. If you don't, then um, it, the outcome is not great. And as black women, we have a tendency to put everybody ahead of ourselves. Um, we carry the weight of so many things. Um, that is statistically, you can look at anything um, and have that reiterated again and again. And so inherently there are these pressures that we think, okay, I'll take care of my family. I'll take care of the things in my community around me uh, and I'll get to um, taking care of myself. But that's gotta, we have to think about this differently. None of those other things can happen if you are not healthy and in a great mental well-being state to be able to take care of yourself. Um, and, and so that is like part of what, what I think about, of you know, encouraging black women to be able to, to have honest and frank conversations with their doctors. Um, change your doctor. If you are uncomfortable um, with someone or the, the interactions that you're having, get a new doctor. Um, so, so know your patient rights and advocate for yourself, um, because only, you know, your body, um, as well as you do, others can make assumptions, um, that, that we've got to like leave and, and really take the reins ourselves. Um, if we want to be here for our kids and, uh, our families and our communities, um, there is no person that we should be putting ahead of ourselves when it comes to our health. That's right. I mean, I, I think you said it, um, and, and maybe I'm paraphrasing, but I think what I'm hearing you say is that that self-care is really the first step in family care. And if you don't care for yourself, you can't care for your family, you can't care for your community, you can't care for your loved ones, right? That's exactly it. I'm, I'm grateful that I was the person that exercised and that made that time um, because it armed me for the battle that I faced with five months of chemo, surgery, and radiation. Um, coming out of that, I have osteopenia. So the step before osteoporosis. I would have had full-blown osteoporosis had I not been in fighting shape, so to speak, going into this. Um, so, so my body was like, okay, you're, you're ready for this. Um, so even without a diagnosis, right, make that time um, because you don't know what's around the corner. That's right. You don't know what's around the corner and time for yourself is so, so important. So, uh, Selena, your story is amazing. I appreciate what you've done for your family. I appreciate that you've done this whole process and lived through this whole process with your community and with your family. And, you know, thank you for making us a part of that today and joining us on the show. Thank you, Adam. It was my pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks to Ford Warriors and Pink for supporting The Real Pink Podcast. To learn more about their transportation grant program and other efforts to help breast cancer patients, visit FordCares.com. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.